Hey everybody, welcome to the weekly Fateless podcast. And today we're going to be having a discussion about some of the tech bubble type stuff going on. We're hearing a lot of things about the ownership of games in the digital space. And then also hearing about layoffs coming from all sorts of different gaming organizations out there. And today we're joined by a new guest. Uh, Chiz, would you like to give us the quick breakdown and, and introduce yourself, please? Hey, yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here today. I actually used to work in technology. Uh, I did software development for mobile and web applications, uh, and I served as a project manager and product owner. And at the same time, I had a little side hustle with a YouTube channel. I've been gaming my whole life. And at some point, I actually made the switch from being a part-time content creator to being a full-time content creator. And I primarily play mobile strategy games. So really appreciate the opportunity to be here. And having worked in tech, I think I can offer some perspective on what it's uh, like in some of these companies that have these big layoffs. You're okay, welcome. great. Yeah. yeah, thanks for joining us. Well then, Sham, do you want to kick us off on the direction we're going here first from a business perspective in terms of what's going on right now in the tech industry? Let's keep it simple. I think, uh, you know, we... We are kind of seeing the the potential of like kind of this tech bubble bursting, you know. So like the the biggest news uh, a couple of days ago, I think, was Microsoft laying off 1,900 Activision Blizzard Xbox employees, uh, and that's that's like one of many uh, that have been kind of coming through. We've been seeing it. We saw it from Riot, Twitter earlier in the year. Unity, like a lot of these, either it's compre- you know companies compressing, and then they're going like, all right, let's cut the chaff, let's let's or cut the not necessarily the chaff, but uh, let's, let's let's cut the overlap. It could be, it could be. You know, I, I don't. I, I'm not in those organizations. You know, Elon Musk's perspective is, you know, it can fire everybody. We could do all the same stuff. With <laughs> Twitter, Twitter, yeah. I'm not sure that's the right idea, though. Really, is it? Like, uh, it's, they, there were problems, not. you know. But is working? Because if it's working, yeah. like, well, I don't, I don't know. know. Advertisement right. revenue. Like, hey, F's, dude, seriously, F's in the chat for all the folks that got laid off. That really sucks. It does. It yeah. Really yeah. Sucks. Seriously. And unfortunately, with all of these layoffs, and I see it a lot, and I think it's a very good sentiment, it's never the people who make the decision that suffer the final penalty. It's always the people who are lower down, right? You know, these these decisions that strategically go wrong, it always ends up hurting the people who work hard to try and make the product a reality. So that's almost like doubly pain. It's almost like a double gut punch, you know, isn't it? It's like, well, I'm getting laid off, but the people who made the wrong decision... Yep. They're still there, you know. Uh, right. not, the, not the case in Blizzard, obviously, because I, I know a lot of senior leadership have left in Blizzard as well. So, Mikey Barra, yeah, yeah, and, and then yeah, Mikey Barra leaving, and then we've got the survival gaming like That's actually bad. canceled. So, yeah. just just crazy. Like, uh, but the you know, it kind of begs oh, the question. Oh, I actually hadn't know, heard that yet. Blizzard yeah. canceled their survival game. It's gone. Yeah, yeah. Gone. I'm learning yeah. this live. Wow, really? But it's it's not just like Blizzard are doing that. Like Riot, for example, not only did they. Basically, this is what I'm hearing right now. Riot basically fired pretty much 70% of their LEC stuff. They've fired their observers, the uh, scriptwriters, the background stuff. That Monte Cristo was basically saying that they broadcast this weekend for their league, you know, the, the European league. Like it has basically no one. <laughs> There's no one there. They've basically got rid of all of them, but they've also canceled, like Riot has canceled their um, supposed Twitch rival, like their streaming network, which. Yeah is massive because obviously a lot of uh, sort of team owners would have been buying into that like oh this is the new platform right it's going to re- challenge twitch that's gone a lot of right riot forge gone so it's like yeah. it's not just staff layout yeah it's not just staff layouts we're seeing here we're actually seeing these companies go we've made a huge hedge a huge bet 
And and then just kidding. It's not working. <laughs> it's not yeah. a reality that we can go into. It's so weird that Blizzard is cutting their survival game now, given that yeah. Power World just launched and is like kaboom, it's explosive. Yes. Like, can't we look at that and go, wait a minute? Like, so this genre is popping off right now. There's got to be something like if you, hey, look, Blizzard skin on that game, like, sure, that'd be fun. Pick, pick, pick which of the Blizzard properties you put that IP on there and like, boom, it'd be really fun to go yeah, play. It seems like the safest genre like there's no there's no like post live ops balancing or like pvp concerns it like it it you throw out some steam achievements and i mean i, I don't understand why well, they can't you gotta that's remember like a big though, budget thing there is no blizzard anymore blizzard microsoft. is gone it's microsoft now and 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 that and now if you look at it from that lens you're like oh they, you know blizzard blizzard that's what they did they come in they go cool genre we're gonna fix it we're gonna make it perfect we're gonna polish it Microsoft yes. is like, that's not what we do. We come in, we... Well, we yeah, but Microsoft greens, green lights Age of Empires 4, which is going to make one one-hundredth of the money of a, yeah. of a survival game. Like, it doesn't make any sense. I, I guess I would want to hear, you can do it for a budget of like 200K. I mean, Valheim was like a budget of 100K. I, I, like, I just, I don't understand the thought process. It seems like they could 10X their money very easily. This is why Blizzard can never make that game, though. Is they always like perfect the game, mm -hmm. right? It's been a bunch of but what Power World isn't it in like beta still or something? Like it's not the it's final scuffed. form of the game. Like yes. put it up, launch, and like it, it's extremely popular, right? That's why Blizzard I probably can't pull it off. Is they're too busy perfecting it to actually ship the darn thing? Yeah, but that's another completely separate discussion. Is like the whole status of a game is kind of a meme at this point. Like Valheim is still early access. It's been out for three years. So I like, <laughs> I like, I mean, like these game studios, they just go, I, I think they do that because they can always have that as like a defense. Like, Hey, 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 we're early access. Well, like, we're yeah, we're yeah. just in early access. Yeah. Like, like I, I just, I understand there's some bugs, but we're still early yeah. access. It's not, it's not done yet. It's not done yet. It's yeah. Yeah, right. Best CYA ever. And, but I think honestly, you almost need to set that expectation with people now, especially games that are potentially live service games where the there's so much pressure to launch early and we were kind of talking about this a little bit before you, we hit record but if you're gonna not have the whole game out yet and it seems to be there's so much pressure to launch sooner with as we were talking about now fewer people working in these organizations right you launch with less call right. it a beta right and boom it's out there and <laughs> I, I feel like there ought to be some obligation to leave beta state at some point like you're right like it's kind of a joke still call some of these games and yeah, I mean, what's early access even mean anymore i feel like you should only be able to get like you should only be able to charge for your game for like one year to call it like early access like valheim is charging full price like we're, we're paying for the game it's not if it was like free testing or something then i get it but you're charging for your game you should only get to do right. that for like a year and well but, but hold on because because that's kind of the evolution of like investment in a sense right you know really what you're saying is like hey giant community Will you pay to try this game out and support us to try to finish it? Like we might not get there. That's what early, early access is saying. You know, we might not get there. We we don't promise we're going to get there. We're trying as hard as we can, and you've given us, you know, for Pal World, I don't know how much eighty million dollar, however much they're making some crazy amounts of money at this yeah, point. They got money now. <laughs> well, I don't know how long it's like it lasts. Because I'm trying to pull it up. The, the lawsuits <laughs> are coming. Just yoink it all from them. I don't think they will, and that's maybe a separate can of worms. But you're spot on that. Like, actually, that's very, very, very smart. Most games fail. Most yeah. games fail almost immediately. They figure mm -hmm. out, oh, 
that, well, that didn't work. And mm -hmm. there's nothing we can do to actually turn this into a success. So you may as well launch sooner. It, you'd be dumb not to launch really soon and get that gauge of like, hey, is it going to work or not? And like, obviously, if Power World in its state is good enough to be like, yep, good enough, then most companies should probably be trying to follow that model and then decide like, oh, okay, actually, that especially didn't work. that genre. I mean, I, I 100% agree. I think there's some genres where there's just an expectation that you just, you couldn't do it. Like you, 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 you're basically done at that point where people, where players expect, uh, or, or the level of quality that players expect, you just yeah. couldn't launch before that. But I think for this genre, like, like you said, it's, it's tough, but they still bought it. <laughs> you still yeah, bought it. And if you, you want the it, data, but. um, right now for Power World, the most recent data I can get is, um, is 94% positive review, 170 million in revenue, 7.7 .7 million units sold. That's the big issue with that. <laughs> yeah. 170 million in what, a week? But they are about <laughs> to get lawsuited up to the hilt because of the, the Pokemon IP references and the fact so, that a lot of people are suggesting tell, tell me, there's legal issues. About this. Well, what do you guys think about this? I mean, this is kind of a big jump. Whatever, we're, we're in the, the business of gaming podcast here. What do you guys think about this? I, I don't understand what they're trying to say with this poke. Dude, it's poke Pokemon are just like bubbly chibi animals that have you've seen a billion times in in that are like recycled in every Digimon. Wouldn't that be like, like raid what are they suing talking every about? Gasha game? I well, mean, I, no, because what are they talking about? they're basically saying that you're essentially created. You've you've essentially created a game which is you can go beat up Pokemon. Like essentially, that's what Power World is. Yeah. You can go attack and beat up and collect but Pokemon. What is Pokemon? Pokemon is just characters. But with they are stats. basically saying is it's too tight, too close. You haven't agreed an IP arrangement with Pokemon. So, so there's two angles. One, they're going to be like, "Well, you're using our brand in a way that maybe we don't feel comfortable with." And also, they're like, "You're making a lot of money off the concept of a Pokemon. We own that right, so we want a, a slice of the pie, right?" And this is diff this is where indie developers and smaller developers get away with these things because it's like Microsoft know. If they were to take something like Diablo type game style, for example, a big AAA game, and then go and use references to an IP that they haven't previously agreed, they're going to be in, in, in the courts for like two years. It's just going to be not worth it. So the process of being able to like make a Power World game just can't happen in a big conglomerate like Microsoft and, and Blizzard because there's just, just too many people a, involved. If, if Nintendo well, actually does sue them, that's just a big boy trying to smash, you know, like to smash. Well, they already these, have, I, think. I, think it's, I think it's bullshit. From I'm sure they already a couple things. First of all, for those of you who somehow don't know about Power World, this is basically like Pokemon with guns, but also it's a survival game. So there's this like whole other element to it that's like yeah. differentiates it. But you're begging the question of would the game be popular still if the artwork was not quite as close to Pokemon as it is? Because right. people are putting pictures side by side and they're like, these look awfully similar. And in some cases, it's like, Okay, well, Pokemon Company, like, they don't own the the likeness of a butterfly. So, like, when you make a Pokemon that looks like a butterfly and Pal World has something that looks like a butterfly, they don't own the right to make a thing that looks like a butterfly, right? Just anime stylized. That, that, that's all Pokemon is. Anime stylized animals. That Like, I can summarize it, Pokemon, in those words. Anime stylized animals. That's it. But you catch them. How do you, how do you own that? But this, and you train them. Yeah. <laughs> this is um, <laughs> this pet. is where IP conversations becomes very interesting because it's a, it's now a debate of a, a legal argument is have you taken inspiration from the Pokemon 
or have you straight up copied the Pokemon in entirety? So for example, if I've got a yellow monster walking around, which looks like Pikachu, is that just an inspiration of Pikachu? Or have you actually just put give, given like a, a Tommy gun to Pikachu and make him well, go what shoot What about things? Digimon? How is Digimon not, not getting sued by Pokemon? Literally because, Digimon. Because, They're literally saying the monster part at the same month. Right, but I, I would imagine at some point they probably had a legal agreement that basically figured out what that what the line was. And you see it a lot like in, it's not just exclusively to the tech industry. You see it a lot at the moment in the music industry. You know, are people basically saying that this song is a, a direct copy of like, do, for do, example, do, 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 do. Marvin Gaye's song has been sued about, I don't know, they say it seems to be making money off every single song in the world. But it's like, has this song taken inspiration or is there a specific keyframes and specific um, sequences of the music, which is directly copyright. So it's very difficult to know. Now, I would say they're probably more concerned about having Pokemon with guns because of the political and legal aspect of that kind of like, because that's what the media outlets described it. Power World has been reported as, hey, this game is Pokemon with guns. And I would imagine a family-friendly brand is not going to want to be seen as their characters are shooting everyone. Like, that's not probably what they want. I mean... That's an aspect. Pokemon, don't you beat the the Pokemon to within an inch of its life to catch it? Yeah. Like, that's the I way mean, you do it. Yes. You beat them down until you can but put you, them in their jail in a in, in a, a small mission, and then be like, "Hey, be my friend. Let me stuff you in a cage, and now we can be buddies." <laughs> But yeah, you I mean, don't you, you don't give him an AK forty seven. I'll bring you out when I need you to fight another another yeah. animal. Oh, yeah, and then I'm gonna summon you to go fight other things on my behalf. And like, but also you can't. You can't police based like off it. of what reporters and the general public say. Like some people say, Valheim is just a, you know adult uh, Minecraft. Like you can't you can't police what people compare. Like right, but well, you can absolutely do a bit of a like for like. There's Reddit posts and everything. Where it's like, hey, this is the Palworld character and this is the Pokemon, and it's like they there's not enough originality. You can take inspiration, <laughs> but if it's like the same facial structure, the same archetype, the same, like, we, we do it a lot, right? For example, if we went in our game that we're developing, if we went and basically found a dwarf, which happened to have very thick thighs and happened to have a very big mallet and also happened to one-shot Hydra heads, everyone will be saying, oh, wow, you just made Trunder, right? So there's, like, we could absolutely make dwarves. Nobody has the license of a dwarf because that's going to cover lots of different games and genres and brands but what you can't do is go and make thor and oakenshield in a game and then say that's my Dude, my character they, they they just they just they don't have a leg to stand on if, I, if i'm honest like it, it like look at look at batman how many times have you or, or what's what's that show called um ah shit i'm, I'm blanking out but there, there's so many copies batman's a perfect example let's go back to that there's so many times when you see like exactly the same you know he's got the pointy ears he's got the cape He's kind of dark, but he's not not Batman. He's Schmatman, right? And it, and it's like you can't you can't sue them for that. First of all, there's parody law. So if you're if it actually is going to be parody, that's its own thing. But if it's but if we're talking about like it is different. Like they 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 went out of their they didn't make Pikachu. They didn't even make Schmikachu. They made I don't know I I haven't played enough of this game to to know. But they made other things like a, a sheep that I've seen a lot of sheep's being rolled around. <laughs> they made a yeah, sheep that sure. you can roll around. Like they have no legs to stand on. This is just purely a move to get like this is a media move in my mind from Nintendo. Like I, I, there's no way they're going to win that in court. And the only place that they possibly could win is in the court of public opinion, where people are like, "Well, that is BS that they stole this." And and I don't think they're going to win there either. Personally, that's my that's my take. 
I, I think they do have some validity. Um, it just depends on how they how much they want to do it, right? It's always a case of do they want to be seen as a brand that when someone gets some luck or like an indie developer, I don't know if how big the, the development studio is, but I don't think they're not like it's not like it's Microsoft, right? I think if they see a, a company like that doing well, do they want to be like the, the public perception of, oh, well, we're going to go and stamp on them and use our corporate legal power. So it depends whether or not they feel, if anything, what will happen, there'll be a behind the scenes agreement. Like their execs will get in front of the other execs and go, hey, look, you know, probably if we wanted to, we could take you to courts and we could probably make, you know, make this a bit, a bit of a scene or you can just give us like 5% or something and just say, be done with it behind the doors. They're really only the power devs. I'd be like, whatever, sure, here you go, buddy. <laughs> their other notable thing was Craftopia, um, from like Pocket Pair Studio or whatever they have. And Craftopia made ten million in revenue over its whole life, and now they Craftopia? have Craftopia. What is this? Hold on, Craftopia. Yep. Craftopia. Was, <laughs> I yeah, it, said Craftopia. It just, I never played it, but it's like uh, it's like a adventure, you know, a farming simulator type game. Like you know, build your base or whatever, do random stuff, but. Um, and you know, that game made 10 million. Now they have pal worlds out for a week and it's probably gonna make 200. So yeah, they 20 X their whole studios, like <laughs> revenue budget in one week. Now what I would say, so, sorry, go on. Go well, on, Chess. I mean, I was going to sort of change topics and tie everything together, which is okay. So if tech companies are and, and game studios are having layoffs, how many people did it take to make pal world? Oh, and like, it's a good question. I don't, I don't know. It's a small studio, right? How is it you take a small group of people and make something like truly outstanding? Like, for example, I know a little bit of the only a little bit of the lore behind like Hearthstone, which like didn't that start as like five people and they called it like Team Five and they were the the inside squad getting it done or whatever, right? Yep. So, so it is possible to take a small group of people and get big things done. And Elon Musk is out there somewhere clapping, going, "Yep, that's right," <laughs> uh, but. But, but how, like, I don't know. I, I'm just thinking, how can you replicate the success of that? Uh, and, and like, what lessons can we learn from what they've done? Yeah. Well, and, okay, so if I'm making a game, like, these are things I would be thinking about. It's because Obviously, you can't throw money at game. And, like, ahead, you can sorry. get away with it, probably, to some extent. Well, I mean, Path of Exile was, like, 10 people. I think Valheim was, like, 6 people. But the thing is, these are, like, massive outliers. Um, you have to, you have to have a very, very unique set of people with really good vision, really good passion, really good drive. Um, it's not a problem you can just throw money at. Like we see all these studios like Amazon, they just want to throw money at making New World. Like here's $500 million, give me a hit. You can't do that because you have to have a certain amount of vision and passion to bring it to life. And you see this with some of the newer Blizzard type stuff. They're not like the old school Diablo RPG grinders. They're just people who went to college and got a job in game design. And well, well it, you're exactly right because because limits breed create creativity, right? So like when you give someone limitless funds, they're just, and you're just like, yeah, make whatever you want. Well, you're not going to get creative with any. You're going to well, the industry standard is you know this many polys and this is what characters look like and this is what you're going to be caught up in the details of like spending your money. Right. And I think, and I think like, like the, this idea of these small teams being able to create something amazing is because, you know, you're, you're like a, you're like a, uh, and, and, and a scared animal backed into a corner. Like you, you have no other options than to be, than to, than to innovate, than to be creative and interesting. And that's what's, that's what people latch onto, you know? The key into that though, I think they have a secret. These, these, 
wild hits, these wild successes, they know something about the world that that the rest of us haven't figured out. And it, they know something about the core game loop that needs to exist in the world that does not exist yet. Yeah. Each mm -hmm. of them did, right? Like PAL World, they they had their slant on like, so there's survival games and you you like, like I've played Ark, like you, you know, tame dinosaurs and it's like all in there. But like, what if we make it more like whimsical and like fun and like so so they they had their unique slant on like the combination of things. Like Hearthstone had their unique slant on the combination of things. Like I think the games that hit hit a breakout and are are surprising with a small team know something the rest of the world has not figured out yeah. yet. It's the Steve Jobs yeah. effect. I always call it the Steve Jobs effect. It's not like we didn't have mobile phones before we had the iPhone. It's not like there weren't tablets in the world before we had the iPad. Yeah, most people now go, oh, have you got an iPhone? It's like what he was able to do as a visionary is go take what it is and make it what I want. And that's a very valuable, that's, that's kind of like the concept of a visionary where they take something that exists already. There was plenty of tablets in the world. Um, you know, like there was plenty of PCs in the world. Windows was around for ages before the Apple Mac came out. But what he did was take the concept and go, I know something that nobody else knows. And they can sit there and they can ridicule me that this is a stupid idea, that I can spend all this money, they can kick me out of the company, they can bring me back. But ultimately, I knew something, this is what Steve Jobs is basically going, is when he, when he was doing all these things, is I know something about the industry and what people want and what it has to do. It has to say hello, it has to have this color font, it has to look like this. I don't care if it's the most arbitrary, stupid thing, like a developer would go, well, yeah, I mean, core functionality works, why does it have to look pretty? So no, it has to do that. And that exactly, is what the sells the exactly item. Exactly like this. Yeah, and that's exactly. how it works. And, and then you kind of like translate it to what he then followed on and said, it's like, well, the main fundamental problem is when these companies and when these, you know, when Blizzard first started, when it made World of Warcraft for the first time and different things like that, it's like the people that are making the product, those are the people that know what they need to make, right? The, the, the ground, the, they're the decision makers. And when they generate that product, it goes off to get sold and people try to market it and all you've got executives and everything come in and then people get promoted up. And then the people that are actually selling said product, the people who are actually delivering the product to market, they're not the people that know how to make a product. They're the ones that just sell the product and they're the ones that get all the promotions and then the decision makers and then they become executives. And then before long, when you need to make a new product, well, the people that created that original product now they're not there anymore. Huh. They, they, they're not the ones that have the decision-making power. And I think that you see that in, it's, I think it's much easier for a small company to make a really cool game like this than it is for these big tech companies to then work yeah. their way backwards. Because yeah. once you've implemented teams and once you've implemented agile functions and structures and corporate structures and executive decision-making and those executive decision-makers commit to like five-year plans, which is what happened at Riot, it's much harder for them to just go, well, we can just make a survival game that's cool and fun because right. it's just too much. What about this? What about what about Lady Inspiration? How, how do we get from A to yeah. B, you know? These innovations often seem crazy to an outsider or, or, or even to someone who works in the industry. So I think, for example, like if you, you know, worked at, at uh, Nintendo and said, hey, we're going to make Pokemon with guns. Yeah. Like what? 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 No, you're fired. Uh, we don't yeah. do that. It's not here. That is not good. How this works? There's no guns, right? Like, yeah, right. But, but at the same time, like they could have made that game. They yeah. were literally sitting on the IP and the whole nine yards, and they could have been like, "This yeah. game is for adults" or whatever, right? And like made a, so much money, and players would have loved it. By the way, oh, the yeah. people are enjoying Pal World. Like, it's not just a money making thing. In fact, right. Pal World charges very little 
for their yeah. game compared to what what you pay for for a game these days. So like I I think that some of the ideas that are actually these huge leaps forward would seem crazy to people who work in the places that would actually otherwise be best positioned to deliver yeah. them. Which is why also Blizzard is going to struggle to create like new concepts or any entrenched studio and like not to rail on Diablo 4 a little bit but like oh god here we are with like one of the most <laughs> beloved you know IPs around and what happened with Diablo 4 people are upset right and i yeah. played the hell out of Diablo 3 and 2 and the original mm -hmm. Diablo oh, by the way i'm old but like even Diablo 3 i had to think about it and go oh actually wait a minute when that game launched, it kind of sucked too. It had an auction yeah. house. We had so and much it was controversy. Not actually a game. It was an auction house simulator where yeah. sometimes you also played a game. <laughs> and I quit <laughs> so and true. I forgot. But like later I came back and sunk in thousands of hours into that game after that was removed. And so it's it's just weird to think about how like these big companies, which you think would be well positioned to best execute and deliver like really insane innovations and in new games, actually really struggle to do so. And I bet you it's because, like we were talking about, like there's a bunch of people that that work there that like, hey, it's a lot safer if we don't do some crazy new thing. And that's that's yeah. the point I wanted to get into is they start they get so bloated, they start to get scared of offending people, and and then there's also a massive difference between building something and maintaining it. So if you have somebody who's a multimillionaire, they're going to be investing way different. Then as someone who's 25 years old, they're getting into the stock market, they've got $2,000 and they're trying to blow up. Like yeah. they're going to be way more aggressive, way more innovative. Tolerant, that person that's yeah. sitting on a hundred million dollar nest egg, they're going to be like, okay, how do I not lose this? How do I just right. play it safe? <laughs> and so, and I think that's the difference between like a, like a Valheim studio or a Power World studio compared to Blizzard. Yeah. I, yeah. I think as well as an ideology aspect here, that's very important as a company gets bigger, they get into this sense that in order for them to continue to be the big thing, the most important company, they need to set out almost like an ideological position that makes them different from every other company in the world. Like, so for example, Riot's five-year plan has kind of gone down the toilet. It was like, we're going to become a multi-game, multi-platform. We're going to be everywhere. We're going to be in your living room and we're going to basically break the meta and we're going to have this Riot Forge. We're going to work with indie developers and all these great ideological things that they're going to be. But actually it's like, well, you're you just that's just not who you are and for example new world in amazon there was an ideological approach that they wanted to generate a brand new game engine lumberyard and that's really what the main fundamental problem with um new world was is they were so stuck up on in, in the executive thing that they absolutely had to have this lumberyard even though the developers are like saying look we could just use unreal engine or we can just use like crisis or we, you know the, the the different engines out there why do we have to use this why do we have to basically devote Ground six to 12 months and work on trying to make this lumberyard when no one else is using it and deal with all the problems of not having a, a pre-existing engine because you want to be ideologically different from them and i i think with like diablo 4's example they were like now we we need to make uh, an open world um, action RPG. It's got to be open world, yeah, and it's got to have clans, and we got to get, it, we got to tap into that multiplayer experience. It's like they almost like forced the development team to go down that route, and then the development team were like, "This is not right. I don't want to work." They changed the developer leadership, and then they changed the developer leadership again. And now the the, the guys that are there, like Joe, the two Joes, and Adam Jackson, and the developers that we see a lot, they're left with 
fundamental flaws in the core product based on the ideological principles that they wanted an open world multiplayer action RPG rather than just sticking to what made Diablo 3 very good, which is that dungeon progression, gear hunting, and, and what ARPGs people really want, which is good itemization. The fundamental flaw with Diablo 4, terrible itemization. It's yeah. like the whole yeah. point of the game is to find this amazing legendary and they've they've arbitrarily made it down to go do Duriel 500 times. And it's they've kind of like they've 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 got such a bad base level that it's going to take them probably until the expansion just to get it out of this problem, you know, get it back into a well, state of action RPGs. And to bring it back to kind of what we were talking about, like I mean, I think a, a big part of hopefully what's happening with these, right? To to, to shine like a, a better light on on all these layoffs. A lot of what I'm what I'm hearing from them is basically like we're refocusing. Yeah. Like, you know, so if you look at what what they're saying with Blizzard, well, you know, and, and some of this may be true, some of this may be not. I don't, I don't know the the ins and outs of their companies, but it's it's like, okay, well, yeah, you know, with Riot, we're going to be in your, in your living room, we're going to do a million different things. Okay, but how do you do a million different things well? And the answer is you don't, right? You, you, it doesn't matter how big you get unless you have like someone who's a genius at operations, right? Who can really break down, okay, this is a tiny team that does this. And they are not affected by a million other things, right? If you could isolate in that way, you know, at, at, at scale, then maybe you could you could kind of like replicate what what you're talking about, what these other indie developers are yeah. doing, right? If you're Blizzard, you know, okay, we we could do this this survival thing, which it sounds like it must have been a fully new IP, I guess. Or that we've got a right. bunch of IPs. We could do some really Focus cool stuff wow. with those IPs. Yeah. We would love to see that. Like, and, and I think they probably hear that. that. Just yeah, I would play that. Yeah, right? I would play that. Sure. I, I, pick, pick any of their properties, like Diablo, StarCraft, Warcraft. Like, I don't care, man. I'm playing it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think with the Riot one specifically, their five year plan that their previous CEO, Nicholas Laurent, uh, put together, there's also like fundamental flaws with it because they were like, well, staff must return to the office and if they're not going to return to the office well we'll let you go and we'll bring people that are going to return to the office you're hiring people in san francisco and california it's like literally the most expensive area you know these staff you're talking 300k some of them are on relocation costs um so your your staff overheads before you even get started on a project it's probably like 10 times the size of any of these indie developers who can probably work and deliver that product for you know a quarter of the salary overheads and I think they basically hedged, and this is the uh, this is the problem with COVID. I think a lot of them thought the new reality post COVID is going to be this like tech filled world where we sit there and we watch League of Legends online and they're the the LEC right. streams. We we it's play World like of Warcraft nonstop and we're on st- constantly on our phone and, and on Zoom calls and everything else. And what you realized is people realized that actually that's okay for like a year, but afterwards we want to touch grass and go outside. And now all these investors because we had high inflation, the economy had a downturn, advertisement took a hit and everything else. They're going, well, I've got to cut my costs somewhere. You know, FaZe Clan, for example, went public. Huge, huge amounts of things. Massive, like the first games brand that's going, now look at them. They're like a penny stock. They've got 0.1. And it's been like, you know, Snoop Dogg's pulled out. And this is the problem. I think a lot of these initial hedge your bets were based in in a reality that was just never going to come to pass. And now you've got all this staff overhead which, you know, it's not the staff's fault, but you gave them huge salaries and you just physically can't, like, it's almost like you're trying to drive the Titanic with the iceberg already in the side of the ship and you're trying to keep it afloat. It's just not going to work. So I don't I don't necessarily think what Riot have done is wrong. I think what they've done is they've refocused themselves back to their core products, which is Valorant, TFT, and League of Legends. And they've clearly Riot Forge wasn't making any money. 
it was a good concept. It's probably great for the indie developers, but it's not made any money. So I, I will say yes, and every company still needs to innovate, though, including yeah. game dev studios, yeah. right? Like you can have your properties that are your staple that players come back to and they love, but they don't last forever. But not right. really, other than I guess World of Warcraft, and like even that has like diminished dramatically. From I mean, dude. Like my mom played World of Warcraft. You know what I mean? Like, twenty yeah, like, years now, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, you you could have a conversation with a stranger about World of Warcraft, right? In its heyday. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so what I'm getting at is, like, even these big companies need to within them have some small group that has ideas for what is this actual secret we know about a core game loop that no one else has figured out, and they got to be shipping stuff. Yeah, like yeah. that's how Hearthstone came to fruition, and like. The studios that stop innovating will die eventually, right? So Riot's got to innovate at some point. Like all these studios have to innovate, or someone else is going to pal world them. Yeah, and, and you well, see that in Riot, for example. Like they innovated into Arcane. Like probably, I would suggest the greatest and most successful game into live animation or TV show or something that they've ever done. Mm -hmm. like, I know the World of Warcraft film came out, but it didn't really go very well for the brand. Arcane actually made Riot's properties so much more valuable because they were able to attract people that didn't even play the game. And they were like, this is amazing. This is great. Why? Because they were able to build up their universe and then extend it out. And that's a visionary thing. Now, how do they take Arcane back in to innovate? That's the challenge is how do you take what you created and continue to in innovate? And I think what these, I don't even think this is exclusively a problem with the tech industry, because if you look at films, like how many times have we seen a Batman film? How many times have we seen a Spy? It's yeah. like they can't come up with new they ideas. Yeah. They've run out of ideas, except for the one film just, that comes along. No, it's like, wow, it's amazing. There's so many ideas. That's, that's the thing. There's infinite ideas, infinite things being pitched to, to these groups, but it comes back to kind of what Brad was saying. How many times like, am I pitching sham on things? <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. But there's always this, this jerk who just, who's just like, well, okay, hold on. Uh, you know, and slowing things down. But, but no, but, but, but seriously, you know, it comes back to a risk tolerance thing. How, you know, these guys have this super low risk tolerance. And, and this begs the question that I, I'm actually quite interested in. I think that this is this conversation kind of like brings this up in, in you know, in an adjacent way. It's like, how do you scale? How do you scale and continue to, to innovate? Because I mean, really, a lot of these are just about, well, we scaled too much and we, and we messed up sort of, you know, yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot, these companies are doing just fine at the end of the day. Right? I want to, they will Right. I actually this. Um, and I think culture is the answer. The only way you can scale successfully uh, with a mindset is with culture. Yeah. Yeah. Lose the mindset and you lose the innovation. Yeah. And the culture lives with the people and the actions that are internal branding at the company that you work at. And that yeah. becomes the actual culture. Like there's the espoused culture, the way we say we operate. Mm -hmm. And then there's the real cult culture, which is like behind closed doors, what gets praised and what gets put down. Yeah. And, and culture is the, I think one, I'm sure there's other ways. I was going to say one and only way, but one of the, the only ways I can think of to actually truly scale your ability to innovate. I remember reading about Airbnb, which like, I don't know if you know their founding story, but they were so hard for cash at one point that they literally, they literally made like cereal boxes with pictures of the presidents on it. And I forget what they exactly were called, but they made hundreds of thousands of dollars selling these gimmicky cereal boxes. 
And they got invested in specifically because like, hey, I, I, the investors invested in those people because people that could sell cereal and make hundreds of thousands You can sell of cereal boxes with presidents, yeah. we're in. Yeah. You're going to be successful. So then years down the line, they're looking at their own company and they had set some people off to go work on a new project. And six down, six months down the road, nothing had been done for this new project. They hadn't shipped anything. And like the culture was lost. Yeah. Like, like the yeah. way they thought and acted and took risks and tried things had, had been lost in the time they had built up and grown their company. And so they had to rethink, like, how do we... Well, that's because we the culture shifts from let's make an awesome game to let's make as much money as possible. And like, so to give context on a few things that you guys were talking about while I'm sitting here looking things up, like, you know, we're banging on Diablo 4. And that's because we are passionate gamers who are looking at it from boots on the ground. But think about Blizzard's executives looking at it from 50,000 feet at, at a macro perspective. Diablo 4 is going to make like $2 billion. Huge success. On a, most, one of the most successful it's games It's one of the of most time. successful yeah. games yeah. in Blizzard history. Okay. So, so yeah. we're sitting here banging on it. The, the gaming market, like you said, what's actually rewarded? You know, what is the gaming yeah. culture? What gamers are rewarding is what Blizzard did with Diablo 4. I mean, I mean, call it what you want to call it. It's the most successful game in Blizzard history. Yeah. It, like, if like from from an executive perspective, when they're sitting in their board meetings and they're like, yeah. "Oh, we how many units have we shipped? Yeah, loads. We're, we're going to make two billion dollars on a yeah. production and marketing budget of what two hundred and fifty million. We ten x our money in five years. Yeah, like yeah. And, 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 and Diablo Immortal. Uh, Everyone shit on Diablo Immortal. Wow, just I mean, fine because of China, but um. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, the one thing I, yeah. I, on that topic specifically, I saw a Reddit post, basically someone having this in Diablo 4, because the new season's just come out and Diablo 4 season 3 looks to be a bit of a, a not so good, uh, based <laughs> on yeah. season 2. And um, they were literally going, well, Path of Exile's like so really good. And everyone's saying, yeah, but look at the numbers. Path of Exile is a successful game. And going on what you were saying, Jay, is about like the culture. How many people go to the Path of Exile con and it's like the CEO, they're all like enamored by him, right? He's like, he lives the game. He breathes the game. And like yeah. when you go to World of Warcraft, they brought back Chris Metzen, right? And instantly the tone of players, oh, World of Warcraft saved. Mr. Warcraft is back, you know? And it's it's because yeah. he know, you, they know that he's going to instill the culture of what it means to be that game product. What, what was World of Warcraft? What was this and game? And I think yeah. what, the, what, what Brad's saying is correct. It's like, well, Blizzard and the people in running Blizzard are like, well, hang on now. Let's, let's, let's put this on a macro level, back to the exact numbers. Path of Exile might make a couple of hundred million a month. We sold like a hundred million copies of Diablo 4 in day one. Well, that's like, you know what, however the math works out, it was like $60 times a million. It's like $600 million in one day. Or whatever the so numbers are. Doing okay. Not we'll make survive. a couple hundred million a month. A path of Exile well, does not. No, what I mean, it's a million. Probably, yeah, yeah. About a million a year. We're talking yes, about fifty million a year. What I mean is an example of like. Yeah, well, four is going to make two billion. I was what I was trying to say is the path of exile is successful, but nowhere near the number of unit sales and the volumes and the player base and like and as with all things. Like we say this in raid. Like yes, there's a percentage of that watch the YouTube and the Reddit Discord in Raid Shadow Legends, but you go to the mobile gaming industry. Like that's not even probably half the amount of players that they have that they're probably attracting within in-game purchases and everything else. And when you actually reverse engineer the numbers, Raid's doing just as much income as it's ever done before. So, well, and, and and to go back to to Chiz's point about like this about this culture and like I think I think what 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 we are frustrated about when we see these some of these companies is that their inter their external culture right what they their external brand 
they're like, oh, we, you know, we do this and that and that doesn't reflect what they do internally, right? They're internal. There's no fusion there. It's not, yeah. it's not the same. Right. And, and I think that's, that's maybe what we're seeing. Right. So, so, cause there's yeah. these, like these, these individual examples of games that we think did poorly or are, are poorly received, but then they get tons of money. It's like, well, but what we're, we're not like saying that it didn't make a lot of money that people didn't buy in because of like the legacy of this company. We're saying that it, it was a failure from the perspective of the co- what we believe they stand for as a company, as a game company developing cool games, you know? Yeah, the, the people that make the games have completely lost touch with the realities of playing the games. And, right. and that is where, as a player, it starts to be insanely frustrating, yes. right? It's like, you, you love the game, you want to continue to play the game and sink time into the game, whatever that may be, right? Like, we've all had one of those, <laughs> at least yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and at some point, it's just driving you nuts where it's like, what are the developers doing here? Like, why are they making these choices that are so potentially, like, infuriating for the, the sort of direction but of the game? What and, should yeah. be driving us nuts is that it works. It works for them. That's what should be driving us nuts. Like, oh, yeah. Yo, we're on a grassroots, passionate level. Blizzard's like, what do you mean? We made $2 billion. Like, we don't care. Yeah, we don't care. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and this is the argument that we have a lot of the time when uh, you see people like going, well, you're going to stop spending money on this game. It's like, well, you actually need to because the only way that these game studios, like they're driven by their analytics and the way that the business performs. Yeah. If the business is not performing, which is, I suppose, a little bit what happened with Riot, right? Riot did this. They really, if, if you compare this season's launch, um, at cinematic compared to last season, so good. Like better. they literally, they they got flamed so hard. They got absolutely annihilated last season. They basically said, "You've given up on League of Legends. The game is dead. We might as well stop playing it." Blah 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 blah. And literally this year, you can see now they've completely course corrected and say, "No, we need to refocus back on what the players want because the players reacted in such a way that it drove them to make a change." But if you're not gonna, if you're gonna sit there and say, "Well, okay, well, Diablo Four Season Three is terrible." But then still play 200 million hours of it. Well, you still play they're going to go. Well, it's good enough for you to play it a long period of time. So right. you've got to basically show them in not just monetary values, but actual activity values that you're not willing to commit to their their product. Um, otherwise, like it's basically you know everyone going ah oh, this new superhero film is terrible, but then it makes 700 million in the box office because everyone goes and watches it because it's the new big superhero film. It's like you you can't have it both ways. Isn't this tragic though? Like in order to improve the thing that you want to be improved, you have to stop engaging with it. Yeah. Even though you might like it, you just want it to be better. Do you see to what I mean? let it grow, like, you have to let it go. <laughs> that <laughs> that sucks right. though, right? It like does suck. especially, I mean, hey, look, like I play a lot of mobile games now, right? And <laughs> these games are designed that you can't skip a beat. Like you lose yeah. so much value. value, especially if you're a spender. If you're like skipping certain things right and then you fall behind all the other people that you're in the race with for things and like oh what a mess so yeah like i it's such a weird answer like we've we've trapped each other in this situation where the people that make the games are like good enough look at all the money i made and the players are like but you could do these really awesome things and like i'd play so much more i'd be so much more engaged i'd like recommend it to my friends i would spend more but like the people that make the games they're like yeah but i made how much money now? Yeah. But, but this is, this is I, I mean, I guess to kind of bring it back to what we're doing and why we did what, what we did, like, this is what we're trying to fix, essentially. Like, because there are there's yeah. several ways to measure success. And one of the biggest measures should be 
community, like how they feel about it, how the community feels about it. And I think that's what that's what you're probably feeling like you're missing, right? You got this mobile game. You're like, okay, cool. I've bought in. I've paid a bunch of money to get into the game. The game is now in live ops. They are continuously updating. Well, what are they going to update? They should be listening to what the community wants. These yeah. champions suck. These aren't this this thing. This content isn't fun. We want more of this. You know, and obviously not everything, but they should be doing that. But what they're really doing is kind of what you were talking about, Seth, which is they're going, all right, let's not listen to that. We need to measure, see what people are clicking on, see what people are are doing. So, but we're just we're like kind of animals of instinct. So some some things we're like, you know, I I just really want this, even though I don't agree with what they're doing. I'm just gonna I'm gonna do it right. And so I guess the only way that we I can think of to fix it is what we're doing, which is you got to have somebody boots on the ground all the time, listening to the community, trying to understand what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and actively fixing and adjusting for those things. Well, there's two things that come to mind there. It's actually there's two fundamental things that can stop this that we don't have to get involved in as a player. Um, One of them is competition. And the biggest Mm -hmm. problem that we're seeing right now is companies went out on their own, like streaming service is a great example for this. They all were like, we're all going to make our own independent streaming service. You had, you started with just Netflix and then it was Disney plus, and then it was HBO max. And then it was Paramount plus, and then there was Everything. Apple TV. And then there was something so else. And the reality was your consumers are never going to want to spend seven ninety nine times 10 to watch TV. So that plan went out. Then they were like, we're making a lot of money here. So what you're getting now is bit by bit, they're all merging back to a single subscription service. Cable. We're back but to cable. Damn what you're, you're having in games <laughs> is we're actually <laughs> accelerating that merging process very quickly. So for example, Microsoft now has what? 40% of the entire IP. Yeah. Disney owns all of 20th Century Fox IP, half. all of <laughs> Disney films, all of Star Wars, all of like Marvel. So it's like, well, if you actually look at who owns these properties, like Tencent, they own 60% of the games industry. Or something, whatever that number crazy is, right? They're, they're, they're in it. They own Riot completely. They own a big chunk of uh, part. They own a chunk of Path of Exile. They own Epic Games, also a big chunk of that. So, like when you actually look at who is making the decisions, it's like, well, if for example, Tencent have made a strategic decision that they want to force player use, player player gameplay, like take Hydra Clash and Raid, they're probably sitting there going, "This is great. We've got like two hundred percent increase in player activity. They're playing longer. They're on our game longer. This is wonderful." <laughs> But actually, all the players are like, I want to actually find a jump like a cliff and, and just run off it over and over again because I cannot see, I can't take this anymore. But they, if there's no one actually willing to put a product out there that's going to compete with that product, then we are in this situation as a consumer where we go, well, I could stop playing the game, but then what do I go to? Yeah, like, but the problem is the barrier others. to entry. It's, uh, the barrier to entry is too high. Like The people's like, expectations are too high. Like, I'm sure right. many people out there could make a, an RPG, but people are going to be like, well, I played Diablo 4 and I want the polish. I, w- I, want, I want it to feel good. I want the sound to be right. I want the graphics. And the barrier to produce that is $100 or $200 million. So that's, like, that's exactly what the, these executives have managed to do. They've managed to develop a product that by either acquisition or purely based on being pre-existing, like World of Warcraft, how many times have we heard, this is going to be the WoW killer? And it never really is because they've established themselves. <laughs> and that means that we are, as consumers, biased to go, well, it's this or nothing. So I might as well stick around and just accept the reality. And then Pal World comes along and you realize mm-hmm. you don't need any of that budget or any of those things to make a game that yep. can conquer. True. <laughs> but how long trend. is it going to last? 
So, um, great question. Also, a good question though is, does it matter? Yes. So, if people agreed. leave our world yes. at the end of their time and think that was great, I'd play another game that you know the the folks that made that game made. They have so much money to make another thing. But then, when right? you think about FIFA team, FIFA Ultimate Team, as an executive. They go, well, we can release a FIFA game every year, which is Power World. And that will sell 100 million. But we'll make 100 million a week because people will buy packs. So actually, I want the live ops version. I don't want the one hit wonder. I want the product that's going to keep making me 100 million by basically I might add a few champions or maybe I'll create a new card. Like uh, there's probably about 1,200 Ronaldos in FIFA Ultimate Team. I'm like, why do you want another one? Well, people keep buying it. So it's like, well, I, yeah. low effort, high investment. I think you are right that there are certain genres where there's like only so much pie. Like you can have a certain slice of the pie, but it is really hard to compete with an entrenched entity yeah. if you're going for that same pie, right? Well, that scale, yeah. right? You can have a little bit of it and you can be in in right. the in the pool, but if you want to be the dolphin, it, you're probably not going to be able to take the great shark, you know, as a, as a concept, right? If you want to be an MMO... There are successful MMOs out there, like um, Lord of the Rings Online has been going for 17 years. It's lived alongside World of Warcraft. Is it anywhere near the scale of World of Warcraft? No. Will it ever be? No. But is that okay? Possibly. Well, I, yeah. I think that's the point. I think I think that what we're what I guess you guys are kind of touching on here is is this kind of like need for competition. There has to be competition, and then and the only way for these titans to be kind of knocked over, realistically is not for people to be just doing the same things. It's for them to innovate, right? It's for them yeah. to be creative and come in. And now that there are these tools, you know, Unity, Unreal, um, make it so, like they've made it easier and easier over, you know, over the last 10 years, they've made things way easier for to people to actually, people to break in on budgets that are, you know, 10 or even 100 times cheaper than what, than what, you know, these big companies are spending and they can come in and they can break through. And what that does is a it makes the big companies know that they have to do better, which is good for consumers. We like that, yeah. Um, and B, it gives those little guys an opportunity to come in and do some cool stuff and try things that that the big guys just aren't going to try. Like 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 you said, Pokemon with guns, Pokemon Nintendo, it's just not never going to happen. They will not do it. They will not put the guns on there. But uh, but an indie developer, they're like, hell yeah, man, get that sheep, roll them down the hill, machine gun them down, play the trainers. Like what is, what is happening in this game? It's like so that's what people want. People like yep. in this like social media era, everyone's so terrified of offending anybody that people are thirsting for just something authentic. Something and that, that's offensive. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> like, like just give me something authentic because everyone's walking on eggshells so much yeah. that you're gonna see stuff generic. like that do well. You're like people are people are thirsting for that, clearly. Do you imagine the conversation where it's like, should we make it so they can catch the trainers too? And then someone's like, yes, actually. Yes. You should be able to catch. Like, <laughs> Throw them in the ball. Them. It's fine. That's Anyone can be, be thrown in the ball. I, I think the problem with some of these, um, the only thing I think that the main risk with some of these one-hit wonder type games, because like, you, you, you'll see it where people will go, this is the best game I've ever played. They'll all hype it up and everything. And then two months later, it's like, I'm back to playing World of Warcraft. I'm back to playing League of Legends. So all these big game companies, they're never afraid of like a PAL world or all these smaller ones because they know, you know, eventually they're all going to come crawling back to us. Well, I have a shape the game is in. World of Warcraft was meant to be dead about four years ago. They're still playing the game. They're still going. Um, you know, it may be having less user subscribers, but 
for them, they would go, well, it's a legacy product that continues to generate revenue that we've already got. Uh, yeah. Now they got, the, they got the upswing coming too. Like Fortnite, so like- for example, until Fortnite went back to classic, Fortnite went down like this. And then Ninja is a great example for this, like his streaming numbers. When Fortnite Classic came out, everyone's like, oh, we're back to 2019. It's like we're, we're throwback and everything. And now it's gone back to when it was cool, but it's, it's we're going back to playing another game more. So people will be like Power World will have huge numbers. Like when New World came out, it's the best MMO. And then it went down. And then Diablo 4 came out, huge player numbers. And then the player base. And I think what ends up happening is your long-standing games, like things like League of Legends, things like World of Warcraft, things of... Um, like Raid Shadow Legends, who are basically the pinnacle, the the entrenched, the base of, or the first, the innovator of that genre. Because let's face it, Raid Shadow Legends innovated mobile gaming for the Hero Collector. They were kind of like the first one that really went deep into the art design. Um, World of Warcraft is one, the one that made MMOs an MMO. Like it wasn't the first MMO. Star Wars Galaxies was out before and everything else. And you had Al- Albion Online and other things. It's the one that marketed it. It's the one that made the the almost like the the crazy fan base. The the commitment that I now have to that like thing. Like I remember playing Lord of the Rings thirteen years ago or ten years ago. I still remember those moments, and that biases is in my brain. So as much as I will sit here and I'll play other games, I'm always going to return back to that. And that's what I think the executives have. They have this power. They can go. Well, we can make an average product. They they have nostalgia, but but, but you got to remember. It's all, it's just like, it's just fashion. This is at this point in games, because, because of these tools I just talked about, the commoditization of games is, is, is more, it's possible now. Right. So like, if you look at fashion, it's the same thing, yeah. right? In fashion, there's people that for a long time, you know, you, only a couple of people could really make clothes because it's, it was really hard to do and it was complex. And then people, someone found a way to make it more efficient. And then, so everybody wore, you know, the black, the, the brown, uh, shirts and but now it's like you know anyone can come in and they can and they can they can innovate or they can have their 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 you know slice of the pie but there's still going to be the top of of the of the food chain of of these companies that have that have found a way to you know machinify everything so to to make this to make this into like okay i can just keep producing the same types of things in waves yeah i've got a process i've just got like okay well you know bell bottoms are in now they're out bell bottoms are in now they're out you know, and, and they just keep repeating and doing the same things. That's what we see with movies. That's what we see with, we're now more seeing with games. And I think it's what, you know, and this is another topic. It's consumerism can, in general. Uh, a, AI is going to do for us. You know, yeah, it's consumerism everything. in general because everything that we have now, we're almost like the globalization aspect of the world paired with um, almost like the centralization of global stock markets against like the big powerhouses of like the American economy, the Chinese economy, and and the European economy, those three big powerhouses, if one of them fails, it's all like they're all working in like this how kind of handshake world. And I think the, yep. the globalization, the consumerism of it means that the people that consume these products, we're almost like we're walking down the path they want us to walk down and there's no other, like there's no offshoots anymore. And that's especially worsened when we combine these big corporate conglomerations into single people. I mean, there's talks now that Paramount Plus is going to merge with HBO Max or something. And then you'll oh, have basically Jesus. one major platform that it's like, you you come to us or you, you don't have anything. There's no options. And I think um, the games industry like is a bit like that. We do have like mobile games that come up and down, but we always just end up in the situation where it's like, well, this one game has got us hooked. Or this one game, there's no matter what we can do, it's like you've got the concept of FOMO that you were talking about, but also the concept of things like, well, I've invested so much time and effort and energy into it. That I don't want to sacrifice that now to move on because they've they've hooked me that way. So it's it's I don't think it's necessarily exclusively on 
the game sector. And I think the people being laid off are the result of those tech industries going, oh, we're losing a lot of money here with staffing and we're losing on our plans. The bubble's not quite going. So how do we realign to get back to that same principle of how do we low risk, high maximum yields and stuff like that? Well, the people that go first is the, is the staff, right? What can we cut first is, is, is the overhead. So um, yeah. yeah, I guess, Over you know, that's kind of like what, what the world we live in right now. And, and what we have to do, I guess, as consumers is, and, and specifically at Fateless, like one of the reasons why we made this game studio is we felt we can do both. We can make a good product that makes a lot of money, but also makes people enjoy the game. That, that sticks to the core principles of what we want in mobile game, which is to have a fair and fun game. That's all we really, you know, we think we can innovate as well. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of like... We just at. love innovating. We, we, yeah. that, that, that's, uh, that, that's, that's one of those things where I think that, at least for me personally, I think if, if I ever felt like we were, we were in, this, in this like, oh, we're going to be stagnant and oh, we want to try to do like the unnamed Fateless game two and three and four and five and six, I'd be like, guys, we got we to gotta get back to the basics, right? We're, we're here because we love innovating. We love doing cool stuff. We love thinking in novel ways and bringing cool things together. I don't really want to just keep printing the same thing over and over and over yeah. again. You know? that that's, that's so I, I don't work at Fateless, but I'm interested in this game as well. And I, I imagine you can't answer this question yet, but oh, I'm gotcha. very curious to learn what secret you guys have. What is the innovation that you're making? The thing that no one else has figured out in the genre. And I, I assume you can't talk about that, but I imagine you guys are also now like, oh, okay. He's he's like keyed into that, but can can you talk about that yet? Or I can no? uh, I can no, no, no. I can address it in a way that we can actually talk about. Okay, um, okay, yeah. let's let's hear. What so, we, we, God, one of the, one of the differences crying right now. He's like the leaks yeah. are coming. script. One of the, one of the core functions of us founding Fateless, well, not me personally, but of Fateless being founded was to do better, like Saf said, with community relations. Uh, you know, like we're we're playing poker with the people that are in our Discord server and hanging out in voice chat and having fun. And that like you don't see Blizzard doing that. You don't see the top people at Blizzard coming into Discord to play poker with Diablo 4 players. Like you just don't see that. So what, what we're what we're trying to bring is be a more accessible community focused studio. Are we going to be able to do that for 25 years? You know, Maybe not. I, I don't know. But but the goal is to try and do that the best we can in terms of innovation. Yeah, I think you are spot on that a lot of the folks that are making these games don't understand how important community is, Yeah, which is weird to say out loud because as a player of a game, I don't know that I necessarily would have said, oh, community is the most important thing because I wouldn't have come up with that word right. to describe what was happening. But when I would describe, like, why is it that I still play certain games? It's like, oh, well, I play to, like, essentially have experiences with certain people. So community. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's yeah, actually what exactly. that is. It's like actually about the group of people you're playing with almost as much or more than the game sometimes. And so the extent to which a game actually encourages or discourages, like, the growth and continued existence of those communities. It's pretty major, man. And I think a lot of these gaming companies don't or lose sight of the fact that that matters a lot. Well, essentially, I mean, the way that we look at this is you don't raid in WoW with a bot, 
right? That that's kind of like a fundamental thing that that where we're at and where we're positioning. You know, when we're making decisions about character design and game modes and and sort of game features and hero skill sets and everything, we're sitting there going, "Is like, well, okay, this player is going to interact and use this character, but this character is then going to get." you know, shown to their friends, their clanmates, other people that are playing. It could get highlighted in game. It could be part of an existing clan activity or something like that. Diablo 4, for example, has clans. Why? It didn't do anything, you know? And it's almost like they can acknowledge that communities are important, but we want to invest in those communities. And we want to basically make sure right. that the the core loop in the gameplay activities always has some aspect of community fun and it's for the player, not just for a mechanism right. to sell a product or a mechanism to unlock this thing. Like, yes, there's going to be aspects of every game that has like, you know, monetization, money, you know, game loops. And like, you have to, you can't create a game that's just exclusively, oh, this is like what the player wants. Like you're going to have aspects that the player doesn't want to do because grinding is a thing. Like we don't always want to grind Mythic Plus dungeons in WoW or we don't always want to like sit here and go through farming the endless thing or repeating the raids, but we we have fun because we do it with community. Like the results. I mean, I literally, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was on stream last night for 10 hours doing campaign in raid nonstop over and over again for Hero Pop. And I had 500 people sitting there and we're all having a laugh. And now that is, that's because 500 people are in the community talking about the game and talking about things that are happening. And we're just having to talk about like, it's not there because they want to watch the campaign run over and over again, because once you've seen a campaign right. run, you've seen a hundred of them, you know? So I think that's kind of like where we think like the big, big missing is the big disconnect right now in, in especially in mobile gaming is they've got the good product, but they don't have the community engagement. They don't connect with the players correctly. They don't understand what a player wants out of these games. And if we can produce a product, hopefully that players really enjoy, that's a good quality product, but also taps into those needs because of, yes, that's like a social gaming. Like it's a mobile game. You use your mobile device to connect to the mobile world. And like, that's the whole concept of these things. It's socialized. If we can connect to that, then we'll think, I think we'll be pretty, pretty good. You know, I think we'll have a good start. I mean, I'm sure you guys have thought about this and can't, can't reveal yet the sort of ways in which community within the game works together. But some, like something I think about a lot, you know, I, I play city building war games where you've got kingdoms of potentially a thousand people all trying to work together or, kill each other depending on the day, right? And like, uh, you know, what systems in the game are, like encourage players to f like truly form community and not just like, this is a system in the game, it's called an alliance, we sit in an alliance, yeah. but like, but, but what makes you actually feel a bond to those other people? That and that's playing? the part that we're, we can't really yeah, talk can't, about. Can't speak yeah. to it. But, 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 but again, I, I guess, I guess we can generally we can speak discuss. to it. I think we can generally speak to it in the sense that it's like when you when you build a mechanic in the game, we're always looking back to, okay, is this something that is going to make it more like is this something that that will be fun to do and relate to your community? Is it like yeah. so it might it might be like, is it something that if it's a discovery element, right? Do I, if I'm gonna go find something, you know, it's more interesting if I call up my buddy. I'm like, hey, do, do you want to get to this thing? Or I look at, or I check out a, a content creator. Oh, you know, he's got a guide on how to do this and that, right? Again, I can't, can't go too specific, but yeah, you know, is it discovery? Is it is it about how you how you do battle? Can we? Can, is there ways that we can connect players and make it so that they're that they're having fun in battle 
with their friends, not just in this endless vacuum of on your own and then hoping to connect with people because you yeah. want to sit and watch them play. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the core things that, that we're doing. So yeah, I, I guess we can't speak to the very specifics, but it's it's how we raised the money for, for the company. It was always community first. It was always from, um, you know, we we reached out to the community and we said, hey, we want, we want to do this. We're going to do this. And the community came back and they were like, we want to support you. And this is, and so, so now it's like, you know, our, our brand is all about community first, you know, building games that are great for the, for a community that built, that are built yeah. on community. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. And extend our, our secret sauce. And I think we also like, we, we want to make sure that we extend to wherever the community wants to exist as well. You know, like, can we figure out ways that we can connect people in discord places and different things like that? Right. we, We've had like various different thoughts and crazy ideas about how we can make sure that communities aren't just existing within the game, but have long-standing yeah. connections outside. Because I think that's very important. Um, like I was when we went to TwitchCon, I attended. I, I sat into one of the um, the developer meetings, um, and they basically were showcasing this concept where people in their Twitch chat could play this game. I think it was like a parking game. You know, like the park. The old games used to play where you'd like try and maneuver and park your car. Oh, like. Park. Yeah, like you had like the different things, and what the yeah. what, what the the viewers could actually do was almost like vote in polls within their Twitch chat and like put obstacles in the way and influence the actual experience that the creator had in the game, and that's how you build a good product because <laughs> that's how you troll creators. <laughs> but yeah, but then you build a community because like you create interaction with your chat. So for yeah, Twitch, that's no, great because they get more interaction. But what they're looking at is how can you take the game in its product and embed the community within it so that the community feels like they're part of the experience. And if we can get even like 10% of that experience, I think that's going to be much better than any, you know, mobile game that's currently out there on the market, because most of the, most of the social aspects of a mobile game is there to encourage the monetization where it's like, Hey, look, this person summoned this champion. Now I need to feel like I got to go and summon it myself. Right. That's mm. that's the mechanics you tend to see in a lot of these socials. Like Optimal. the clan <laughs> is a method. Like for example, raid has a clan. It might give you a free rewards, but they actually want you to look, go whale in Hydro Clash and go whale in Canvas's clan. Or um, Dragonite, for example, has like um, you know their own like little alliance tournament. It's like well, yes, it's a competition, but it it, it serves a means for the function, not for the community. So if we can tr we, if we can get both function and community, then yeah, that's a big. I think. A missing link that probably has got been lost over this monetization, globalization, economic kind of direction that the industry has taken lately. Yeah, I, I think you are right that like there's there's really like all these different game modes where you can inject community, like and and all these different levels depending on what we're talking about, and like some of it is. I think a part of the reason you see like alliance versus alliance situations in so many games. I've played so yeah. many of them. Yeah. yeah. Yes. In, in a large number of them, there's an option to just spend to score the most points, which like ruins the it ruins the a community. Lot of figured out that you can encourage communities to like behave a certain way as a part of like being a part of that community. But like I, I think as you know, it's cool that as you think about all the different game modes and um, you know, like I assume, you know. X number of players versus Y number of players, which is like 1v1 or 1v many mm. or many v many or all these different things, right? As you think about community, I think that's really awesome. That so you're looking yeah. for like, so how do we make that a, a better community experience? Yeah, it's the guiding light. And, and I feel like I feel like that's a that's probably a good a good spot to kind of like wind us down. Maybe does anyone have any final thoughts kind of on this on this concept? Uh, of 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 all the all the layoffs. I mean, this is this is, you know, we we've gotten back to the the fail list, but from the perspective of 
scaling and layoffs and things that are happening in the industry and the bubble. Maybe anyone, if you guys have any final thoughts on it, let's do it. Chess, you want to you want to kick us off? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, you know, so we we kind of went full circle where it's like, hey, these companies are laying off a whole bunch of folks, but then point to Pal World and and point out that a very small number of people can execute something very exceptional in terms of a thing that people are really enjoying. So for me, the question I sort of leave this this conversation with is like, you know, what are the things that make those small teams super successful? And we talked about some of those ideas, but I'm very interested for folks' thoughts in the comments as to like what makes a small team really deliver something beyond what anyone could have imagined and that the entrenched companies are all missing out on. Man, I'm I'm very right. curious for, for folks' reactions to that and, and what their thoughts are. So I'll be looking at the comments. Okay. Nice. Yeah. My my closing thoughts would be I, I'm really not surprised. I, I've been saying for years that eventually there's going to be a content bubble as well, because with like the pandemic and everybody wanting to work from home, one of the first things people gravitate towards is I want to make content. I want to do TikTok. I want to do Instagram. I want to do YouTube. And we saw the uh the like viewers available per creator just plummet because there was a massive influx of people creating content. And I think that burble, that burble, that bubble is going to burst uh, very soon. And we're seeing it in tech would be kind of my closing thought. Yeah. Yeah. I think and, and I would say that's actually 100% reflected in Twitch's layoffs because I think they saw loads of people come in during the pandemic and they had to scale their costs for all these new creators. But then the creators couldn't actually grow into a profitable entity for them. And now they're like, well, we're hem- we've got all these services. We have to run them because we've committed to give into them and we can't afford them. So we've got to, f- like that, they left the South Korea market. They left an entire market because they couldn't afford to do it. So yeah, I guess, you know, we're still not through this. We're still not through the worst of this. I think there's more to come. Um, you know, Twitch has done three rounds of layoffs, Riot has done one round. This is Blizzard's first round since Microsoft. So I don't think we're going to see the end of these layoffs just yet. I think we've got probably got another six months before the market stabilizes. Um, and also we're very subjective to the inflation world, right? Is, is inflation going to keep coming down? Because that will affect investor confidence and the business world. Because a lot of these tech companies are now subject to investors and shareholders. And I think that is, you know, I know Riot tried to come out and say, look, this is not about money. But in the, some aspect of it must have been, you know, some aspect must have been, these things aren't making money. These things are making money. We don't need to be spending money on these people, right? They're not going to be making these decisions purely on strategy. There will be a monetary aspect. So I think as they get pressure from people like, you know, it's not just like shareholders, it's governments. When they start cracking down on things like things that are allowed in games, and especially in China, who are very much more restrictive, I think we'll start seeing probably another six to 12 months before we end this this sort of bubble loop bursting. And then we'll see where we are. So fortunately, here at Fateless, we're all right. We're uh, we're, we're doing okay. We're, we're not sacking anyone. Hopefully, I'm not. Hopefully, I'm not going to get sacked. Better go check with. Uh, actually, but, uh, Seth, I want to have a conversation. Yeah, with yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, I'm good, right? Um, but uh, and, and then yeah, I, I, I guess I guess I'll I'll end this off on on kind of you know my my kind of more uh, not more positive but a, a slightly different take on on where I think this is going to go. I I agree. I think that we are going to see more of these layoffs, but I think that this is going to end up being essentially an opportunity for massive growth in this industry. I think we're going to see a lot of people that were laid off that saw the saw what was happening at these big entrenched companies that understand um you know like why what things worked what things didn't work. And I think we're going to see, you know, a bunch of these small groups come out. We're going to see people from Blizzard and from Riot and from, you know, 
whatever, these other companies coming together and doing really cool things. And I think now is a really amazing time for people to be doing it because of this kind of like the, the dawn of the age of, of AI. And so I really, I, I have this, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist at heart in general. I really think I see a lot of optimism from, from what's happening here. Like it, it feels, you know, um, it, it may, it may feel, you know, like a huge bummer when you get let go from, from, from a job like this. But I think that this is maybe, you know, the, like I said, the dawn of, the, of, of a new age for, for tech. So yeah, maybe this, this bubble is bursting for this particular thing for content in, in this particular way for uh, company structures for this, at this, you know, massive size. But I do think that we're going to see a lot of things, hopefully more companies coming out um, like us, where it's a bunch of really passionate people that have amazing ideas that have, you know, that, that have seen the perspective, the, the, you know, the perspective from the inside, I guess, and are now trying to do something different and understanding, you know, what people want and what the future is and, and have that kind of Steve Jobs vision. I'm not saying that we're Steve Jobs, but you know what I mean? <laughs> have this, have this, have this be. new vision for something. Um, if, if, so yeah, if you say one more thing, opinion. then you're Steve Jobs. Right? That's right. W one more thing. Uh, well, is that when, good enough? No. <laughs> whenever he ends his, uh, whenever he ended his uh, presentation, right. yeah, if anyone's ever seen, he always goes, one more thing. <laughs> Oh, yeah. One more thing. And then he drops a bomb, right? Or I everyone literally though, would I, sit in these yeah. conferences with him for like an hour where he talks about all the iPhones and everything. We're, we're waiting for this one more thing. What, what, there's always one more thing he's got. And, they're just and waiting, right? They're just, they're it's like, like oh, by the way, we've made an iPad. One more thing. So it's like, yeah. then if you do that. You're wearing the turtleneck as well. Yeah. Is that? Yeah, yeah the jeans. I don't, we don't have it, guys. Next podcast. Okay. It's not me. It's not me anyway, man. It's Simon and Dan, Simon and Dan, and the rest of the crew, like, is is uh, are the, the innovators the vision here? The innovators here. Well, thanks so. so much for having me on the cast, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. It was really fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks, awesome. for, thanks for having. Me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. That was our weekly fateless discussion here on the channel. And uh, thanks, Saf and Sham and Chis for joining us. And we will see you next week on the Fateless Podcast discussion. Have a good rest of your day. Bye.